missions locally and globally. And so I just praise the Lord for your support of team over the years, of Doug and Nancy Everswick and the Doyles there in Zimbabwe. I've been to Karanda myself, and uh, it's an amazing place. And I was sharing with John before the service began that uh, team operates in about 50 different countries around the globe. And there is now, as a result of the global mission movement over the last 100 plus years, some form of a viable church of Jesus Christ in every country of the world. Praise God for that, amen? Not every people group in those countries have yet to have the, a gospel witness. So there's still work to be done, both for global workers or missionaries from North America, but one of the most exciting things that's happening in global missions today is how these churches that have been established around the world as a result of the global mission movement, including TEAM, which has been around 133 years, is the fact that these churches now want to become sending churches for missionaries in their own right. So they come to organizations like TEAM and say, can you help us learn how to do that? And one of our strategic, our chief strategic strategy for the coming future is to partner with the global church to help them become sending missionary churches to go places where North Americans can no longer go. You read the news and you find in the news the distress and the terrorism and the hostility towards uh, North Americans, towards the West in general, and it is very, very difficult for missionaries to be sent to those countries today. You either can't get visas, or if you could, you're probably not going to last very long while you're there. So these churches that God has raised up through the missions movement of the last 100 and so years are now eager to take on that task themselves. I was in a big Asian country a while back and um, training underground church leaders, and they said to me, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be trained in how to evangelize and how to pastor churches because we can go places you can't go. And uh, they says, in fact, if you went to the places that we intend to go to, you probably would be dead in 24 hours. He said, but we can go back and forth across the border without any difficulty at all, and we want to do together what God has called us to do, and that's to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the role that you are playing in that regard. But you know, as you read the news and watch the news through streaming services and television, there's a whole lot about which we could be afraid. There are real dangers. There are real dangers to those who serve in global missions in places around the world that are in the news every day, and there are global workers that are at risk in places where before risk was never much of a concern. And there are risks that we face. As we see times of transition that happen, both politically and economically and militarily in our world, it is very easy to become people that are driven by our fears rather than motivated by our faith. So this morning, I'd like to have us take a look in God's word at some times and places and people who were going through transitions and how God encouraged them to encourage one another in their relationship with him. 
Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1 is a time of transition. The book of Deuteronomy means the second law. It's the second time that the law is being given to God's people because they have completed 40 wasted years in the wilderness, having come to the land of promise, having been led by God in a miraculous way out of Egypt. They were driven more by their fear than by their faith, and they said, we can't go into this land. It's got too many giants. Forty years later, they came back to the same point in time when God was calling them to enter the land of promise. So the law was given to them a second time to remind them of their obligations and to remind them how it is God is holy and they need to be in right relationship with him by faith in what God would one day do with the sacrifice that would forever take away the sins of the world. So in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we have the Lord's word coming to his people, beginning verse 34. The Lord heard your words, and he was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. To him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has followed the Lord fully. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account, Moses writes, and he says, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter, encourage him, and he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Then if you flip over to chapter 3, we have a reiteration of the command of God to his people to encourage Joshua. And when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 28, God's speaking to Moses and he says to him, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. This was a time of transition. This was a time of vulnerability. This was a time to either decide, am I going to walk by fear, or am I going to walk by faith? They had walked in fear 40 years before, and walked in fear for 40 years. And now they came to the land of promise, and they are charged by God during this time of transition, not only from becoming wanderers to becoming possessors of the land of promise, but it was a time of transition in terms of leadership as well. They were accustomed to Moses' leadership. For 40 years, Moses had talked with God face to face as a man talks with his friend. And now this Joshua fellow. He's coming on board, and he's going to take Moses' place. I've often thought, what did that feel like for Joshua? What were his thoughts as he realized, and he looked out over that mass of people, probably more than a million, and realized, I'm the one responsible to get them to the place God wants them to be. Anyone who's been in leadership for more than five minutes understands the, the weight of responsibility that leadership brings. So God's command to his people, chapter 1, and God's command to Moses as he's leaving a position of leadership, 
and will stay behind while they enter the land of promise, God says to them, I want you to encourage and strengthen Joshua. Our church, I'm a member at Blairstown Evangelical Free Church, is going through a time of transition as you are. Our church is also without a pastor. In fact, I lead the pastoral search committee. And uh, it's a time of vulnerability for a congregation to know, not know what the future is and who it is who will be the person that God will bring to serve with you in accomplishing his will for you. Transitions can be times that can create fear. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of my most favorite books. It is, Daniel is my favorite character in the Old Testament, bar none. Let me set the scene for you. A hostile military force has invaded Israel. Taken hostage some of their most vulnerable, some of their most promising people. Hauled them away. Many of them were likely stripped naked and marched through the beating heat of the desert sun. Kind of reads like today's news, doesn't it? Except this was 606 B.C. And the armies of Nebuchadnezzar II had just invaded Jerusalem and taken captive the best and the brightest of the young people, Daniel being among them. Daniel served in the kingdom of Babylon with distinction. One of the reasons why I love the, the account of Daniel's life is the fact that here he is, a light in the darkest place spiritually that you could make a case for in the world at that time. And he shines bright against the darkness. He heeds the words of Jeremiah the prophet who said, when you go into captivity, I want you to live your life for the benefit of the place where I have sent you. Imagine that. Jews taken captive into a Gentile, hostile environment, a government that was idolatrous and wicked in its behavior. And God says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Folks, that's our job today. More and more we feel like we have been taken hostage into enemy territory that is controlled by evil and that can create fear in us. When God wants us to exercise faith in him and in his purposes and in his plan and to be shining lights in the darkness about us. That's our job. December 3rd, I'm preaching at our church during Advent season, and the topic I've been assigned by our elders is the fact that Jesus is the light that has overcome the darkness, and indeed he is. But Jesus also said to his disciples before he left, not only am I the light of the world, now you are to be the light of the world. And don't hide that light under a bushel. Be brave and be bold, because God's plan will not 
he withstood successfully. Don't walk in fear. Walk in faith. You see, our fear causes us to focus upon the immediate environment and the immediate circumstance. When indeed, we've read the rest of the story. We know how it ends. That God has already overcome. And one day we'll demonstrate that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and sets his kingdom up here on earth. You and I are to be praying, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in the meantime, deliver us from evil. Both are legitimate prayers and ought to be prayer that is frequent from our lips and heart. In Daniel chapter 11, there has been another transition. Daniel has served in positions of influence in the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar II. You know the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he uh, didn't think too much of Jehovah God initially. And then God gave a vision to him, which Daniel interpreted, that said, you know something, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You are not the best thing that ever happened to this world. And Nebuchadnezzar ended up for seven years living like beef cattle out in the field until he came to his senses and recognized that Jehovah is the Most High God. Daniel had a significant impact on the spiritual dynamic of Nebuchadnezzar's life. And I think we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. It's because of Daniel's faith. He didn't live in fear. He exercised his faith in the midst of a culture and a society that was profoundly evil. And he stood out amidst the darkness. Nebuchadnezzar eventually passed on and was replaced by Belshazzar, who was a wicked dude himself. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, he never came to a knowledge of the true and living God. So when problems developed in the kingdom and Belshazzar literally saw the handwriting on the wall and no one could interpret it, even Daniel's enemies, the ones who were jealous of him, said, we need to go find Daniel. He'll know what this means because in him lives the spirit of the holy God. Folks, when the wheels come off in our culture, <coughs> if we have walked in faith and not in fear, if we have been obedient to God's call upon our life to be lights in a dark place, then people will say, let's go find a follower of Jesus. They will know. In chapter 11, the handwriting on the wall that Daniel had interpreted for Belshazzar was simply this. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting, and tonight your kingdom will be taken away from you. That's not the sort of message you want to give to the guy who can lop your head off. 
But Daniel was faithful to the truth. He didn't pull any punches. He told the king exactly what God's message was. And that night, Belshazzar died, conquered by the Medes and Persians, the armies of Cyrus and Darius the Mede. It's interesting in terms of history that Belshazzar was co-regent of Babylon the night that that kingdom was conquered by the Medes and Persians. His father, Nabonidus, 10 years before, had left Babylon and went into seclusion in Arabia and became a monotheist. That's all we really know about him. It could be that as Daniel had witnessed to the true and living God to Nebuchadnezzar, I think he had done the same to Nabonidus, and perhaps Nabonidus became a follower of God and knew he couldn't remain king over this evil empire that worshipped Marduk as their chief god, their idol that they worshipped. So he essentially abdicated and gave the kingdom over to Belshazzar. So Nabonidus is not anywhere to be found when the kingdom falls to the Medes and Persians. Belshazzar's in charge, and he dies that night. And you know who the third man was in charge of the kingdom at that point? It was Daniel. And he is the one who turned the kingdom of Babylon over to the Medes and Persians. A time of transition. Now, politically, whenever there's a change in government, there's usually a house cleaning that follows. Sometimes it's um, peaceful, and sometimes it's not so peaceful. And I imagine Daniel could have said, well, my days of being prime minister over this kingdom are pretty much toast. And maybe the king's going to, this new guy, Cyrus, and his deputy, Darius the Mede, maybe they're just going to say, you know, we can do without Daniel. But Daniel trusted God. And take a look at the first verse of chapter 11. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, think about this. In Deuteronomy, we saw God tell his people, encourage and strengthen Joshua, a godly man who God's word says, along with Caleb, his best friend, followed God fully. But here, in Daniel chapter 11, we have God speaking through Daniel and telling him, I want you to arise and strengthen and encourage Darius the Mede. Who at that point was an ungodly person. You see, Daniel knows the impact of being salt and light and being a solution maker in the problems of culture. Daniel walked by faith, not by fear as to what happened to him or might happen to him in this time of transition. He followed God fully. Darius the Mede was second in command of the Persian, Medes and Persians at this point in time. Cyrus 
who was the main man, was probably doing the mop-up operations around the kingdom of Babylon and left Darius in charge back in, at headquarters there in Babylon. Darius the Mede died a couple of years after he was put in that position, and Cyrus became ruler of the Persian Empire in its entirety. God's word has good things to say about Cyrus. God's word calls Cyrus his servant. And again, I think it's the influence of Daniel who walked by faith rather than by fear that he not only was he prime minister in the Babylonian Empire, he became prime minister in the Median Persian Empire. Which, if you studied the Median Persian Empire, you can see it was very different than the empires before it, like that of Babylon and Assyria before it. Cyrus was a benevolent ruler. He gave special status to women in that culture. He even, by decree, ordered that when women gave birth, that their husbands were to stay with them for months to care for his young family. Human rights were born out of the Persian Empire. Years later, when Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire, he was so enthralled with the values of that kingdom that he gave up living like a Greek and became more Persian than Greek. It's probably one of the reasons why he was most likely executed by his four generals. But out of the exposure of the Greek empire to the values of the Persian empire, which reflected the values of Daniel, the values of Western culture originally grew. Daniel's impact was huge. There are two words in the Old Testament that we want to think about as it relates to the issue of overcoming the first is the word that we ran into there in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and chapter 3. It's the same word we run into here in Daniel chapter 11. It is the Hebrew word hazak, and it means to encourage or strengthen. If we think about what God said there in Deuteronomy, he said to God's people, I want you to encourage and strengthen your leaders. That's an important responsibility. We as congregants in our individual churches need to do for the leaders in our churches. Encourage them. I pastored for 35 years. There were many times I felt like I needed encouragement and received little. So I know the value in terms of being a leader, of being encouraged by those who you've been called to lead. And in this time of transition for your church, one of the best things that you can do is to encourage your leaders and encourage one another. It's a time to strengthen the relationships within the church, not worry about what the future should be and fear it. We need to exercise faith that God knows what the future is and we can trust him with that future. And in the meantime, we need to encourage one another to move towards the future that God has in mind for us collectively as his people. 
There's a second word which we bump into in chapter 10 in the book of Daniel, if you'll flip back a page or so. God gave Daniel some amazing visions during the course of his ministry. And in verse 7, it says, I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. It's this man who uh, appeared by the Tigris River. He had a belt of gold. His body was like beryl. He had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and hands like that of gleamed, burnished bronze. The sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. This is very much like the description of who the Lord Jesus is in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't know for certain that this is Jesus in a pre-incarnate appearance or not, or whether it's one of his mighty angels. But whatever the case, Daniel, verse 7, says, I alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me didn't see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. Koach is the Hebrew word. And it means the capacity to act. You have no strength. You have no ability to act. You are worn out. He says, my radiant appearance has fearfully changed. I retain no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words. As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees and said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, I love this, fear not. Daniel has not only lived through times of transition from Israel to Babylon, at Babylon, from the Babylonian Empire to the Media Persian Empire, and now he gives him a vision of the future and all the change that that will involve. And he says to Daniel, don't be afraid. Fear not. And in verse 18, <clears throat> again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad's been in heaven for over 20 years. My dad was not only my dad, but he was my pastor. And as I entered the pastorate myself, he became my mentor. He was my teacher. He was my example. He was my hunting buddy. He was my best friend. At his funeral, as people spoke about Pastor Ken's ministry, they said he was such an encouragement. And my dad was. My dad was always positive. He was always looking forward to what God was going to do next. He was one of those people that when he walked into the room, you just felt better because he was there. I used to think, especially in the 10 years that he battled cancer all the while while he continued to minister, I used to think, 
How does he do it? How does he continue to encourage people when he himself faces so many challenges and could live in fear himself, but his faith is just shining against the darkness of his circumstance? After his funeral, my mom, who is now 92, gave me his preaching Bible. And for the next two years, I had my daily devotions out of my dad's preaching Bible. And there I saw the answer. He was able to minister to those around him. Not only because there were people who would on occasion encourage him, but because his own walk with God was so deep and so rich that out of his innermost being, would flow rivers of living water. Think about the impact you and I could have upon not only our respective congregations, but our communities in which we live, if we had that kind of walk with God ourselves. To be a Daniel in the midst of the darkness. In 1 Samuel, chapter 30, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me there. We meet David, who was called the friend of God. David and God had a close relationship, as flawed as David was, and he had some pretty significant failures in his life. And this is a time of transition in David's life. It's a time before he became king. It's been announced that he was going to be king. Saul has been chasing him from one end of Israel to the other, trying to kill him to prevent him from being king. He's had some people who have betrayed him. He's had others that have helped him. His wives have been taken captive. In that culture in those days, one could have more than one. And it says in verse 6 of Daniel, of 1 Samuel 30, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul. Put yourself in David's shoes. You know you've been called by God but nobody wants to recognize that. You've had family members taken hostage. You have fled for your life for months. You've slept in the cold. You've been hungry. And now everybody who should be encouraging you wants to stone you. This man wrote some of the most emotive, personally revealing psalms in the entire Word of God. Times when his soul just cries out to God to be his rock and his deliverer. It would 
be through his line that Messiah would come. He trusted what God said. And while the people around him were bitter in soul and ready to stone him, the next verse tells us, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We need to encourage one another. The book of Hebrews says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, and I've never lived a day that wasn't called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a responsibility to encourage one another. And at this time of transition from my church that I'm a part of and your church that you're a part of, we need to be encouraging one another in our walk. Yeah, it's tough for a church to be without a pastor for a while. Understand that. That only makes the personal responsibility each one of us have as part of the body of Christ to encourage one another day after day. But you know, there will be moments and there will be time when that encouragement doesn't come because you and I are human and we fail. So do we just make our decisions at that point based on fear or do we say, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord my God and walk by faith. Teen missionaries are some of the most awesome people I have ever met in my life. Doug and Nancy, Sean and his family. I think of the missionaries in Chad, the Hoyts who recently um, went to a different ministry within teen, but Scott Downing and his wife Susie and family. Chad's a hard place to live. It's got the worst infant mortality rate in the world, the, wor the lowest life expectancy, the worst death rate of women in childbirth, the worst water to drink in all of Africa. And these people live in that environment to be witness to who the true and living God is. And in Amtiman Chad, the Muslim leaders of the tribes came to teen missionaries and said, we need a bridge across the Bar Arzum River where to get to market, people have to swim the river when it's in flood stage and dozens of them die every year. And our cattle to move from one pasture to another have to swim the same river and hundreds of them die every year. Will you help us build a bridge? because we trust you, because you are followers of Jesus. We don't trust each other, but we trust you because you follow Jesus. Solution makers in the midst of the chaos of a society where death is always close by. You see, being a follower of Jesus helps us to be people who live without being fearful of the future. Now, having been in Chad and having been in Zimbabwe, you know, I took precautions. I sterilized my water before I drank it. I didn't eat any fresh vegetables. I did eat crickets a couple of times. They were pretty good. They were pretty good. I took seconds, in fact. You know, so we, we take practical steps in our life 
That's why we look both ways before we cross the street. We stop at stop signs, or we should, and stop lights. We wash our hands before we eat. I mean, that's the practical stuff. But walking by faith takes courage. And being lights in the dark place requires a strength beyond ourselves that is found in total supply in Jesus Christ. Walking by faith is not permission to be foolish in how we live, but it is permission to be fearless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May it strengthen us to accomplish the will